0: Hello and welcome to Publishers Weekly Radio, on the web at publishersweekly.com slash pwradio and streaming free on iHeartRadio, iTunes, and audiobookradio.net. I'm Mark Rotella, Senior Editor at Publishers Weekly.
1: And I'm Rose Fox. I'm a Senior Reviews Editor at Publishers Weekly, and we're bringing you the very best author interviews directly from PW's offices in New York City, the heart of the book publishing world.
0: Here's one of our favorite interviews from the PW Radio Archives. We hope you enjoy it, and check our site on September 14th for our brand new show, PW Insider. Welcome back. I'm Mark Rotella.
1: And I'm Rose Fox, and you're listening to Publishers Weekly Radio, direct from the PW offices in New York City.
0: Today, we've got ballerina Michaela de DePrince on the line. Her memoir, co-written with her mother, Elaine de DePrince, is Taking Flight. Hi, Michaela. So nice that you could join us. Oh, thank you so much. So tell us about your memoir, and, and what made you write it at age 19?
2: Um, well, my mom and I actually, we didn't realize we were writing a book, but it all started out as soon as I got adopted um, when I was four years old, um, I wanted to explain to her what had happened to me so she could understand why I was the way I was. And I told her I was only going to tell her once and um, that was it. So she was really smart enough to, you know, get a notebook and write everything down. And um, and somehow years later, it turned into a book. Um, but the reason why I really wanted to do it, um, because of course, at first, I didn't want to do it. But then I realized, you know, this is This is a good opportunity for me to share with people, you know, the things that I've been through and how I was able to overcome them and to show people that, you know, people go through horrible things. But if you have something positive in your life that you absolutely love, that that can help you get through anything. And that's what Bali did for me. And I want to share with the world.
0: So and was there at what point did you and your mother decide to sit down and write this was there something that had happened a, a discussion you had had or something you needed to clarify with her
2: Um actually my mom and I we wrote um a children's book um just something small and you know just for fun and she sent it out to see how it would go and then somebody emailed her back um Adriana and said oh well um, could you turn this into um, a memoir? And we're like, oh, okay, sure. You know, and then we just <laughs> continued writing and you know put more details in it. But you know, also at the same time, I was rehearsing a lot, and my mom and I would have to viber and Skype and you know email constantly because I wasn't able to you know do it face to face.
1: So it was a really collaborative process. Do, do you and your mom get yeah. along well always? Was it, was it easy to collaborate with her? Or, you know, I know sometimes you're working on this while you're a teenager, and teenagers and moms don't always have the easiest time.
2: Yeah, but I think for me, I was able to mature really fast, so I was pretty much You know, I went through my crazy phase of being a horrible teenager when I was 13, 14, 15. And then, you know, I realized, you know, my mom has done so much for me. And I think also writing this together made me realize how amazing she truly is. I knew she was great, but I didn't realize what an amazing mother she was, not just to me, but to all my siblings. And, you know, she did everything for me and she wanted me to become something great. And she she believed in me and so did my dad and everybody in my family. But I just didn't know the depth to that. And I think that writing it really gave me that opportunity to realize it.
1: So uh, how how many siblings do you have? Can you describe your family for us? My family is
2: huge. Um, well, it all started, um, my parents had five boys. Um, and uh, two of them passed away, but um, uh, Cubby and Michael. And Michael's dream was to adopt a child from West Africa. Um, and when he passed away, my mom, you know, she talked to my dad about it, and they ended up finding a girl in Sierra Leone. Her name was Maventi, And so my mom calls the orphanage, and she says, uh, I would like to adopt Maventi." And they say, which one? <laughs> there were two Maventies and uh, that's how it all worked out. And so she ended up calling my dad in Japan. He was, you know, he was sleeping at the time, and it was time, and um, she was in New Jersey. And she said, well, there's this girl that nobody wants, and I think we should adopt her. And my dad said, okay, and then went back to bed. He woke up the next morning and said, oh, I had a dream. You called me to adopt another girl, and I just was like, oh, that's crazy. And she said, yeah, I have the paperwork done and everything. And then that's how we both got adopted, me and I. Hmm. And then my mom ended up adopting another girl, Mario, who was also in the orphanage with me, um, and Mia, um, because her adoptive family didn't want her anymore, so we begged my mom to please adopt her. And then we wanted an older sister, and so my mom adopted an older girl from Liberia, my older sister, Ami. Um, and then my brother adopted two kids from um, Liberia, too, with, uh, um, when my mom adopted Ami, and that ended up not working out. So then I have two younger sisters now, so there's 11 kids in total.
0: My <laughs> gosh. Wow. And the, uh, your brothers, yeah. you had, the <laughs> brothers you had talked about, were they also adopted, or are they biological?
2: Uh, two of them are biological And three were adopted
0: Wow oh, That's wonderful And you the grew up three in The New-
2: ended up having um, They all had AIDS so three of them
0: mm. oh, Wow Wow And you grew up in New Jersey
2: Yeah, I grew up in New Jersey um, I moved when I was almost 11 years old um, To Vermont But I couldn't dance there But there was absolutely no training in dance That was good enough That I, want- I wanted to become something great So I wanted, you know, the best So I ended up um, going to Philadelphia To train at the Rock School and my my dad was working in New Jersey, but I barely got to see my family that were living in Vermont. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to New York City, so I I feel like you know New York City was where I found myself, and you know mm-hmm. everybody finds herself in New York City. Um, I was there for two years, and then my family moved, and um, yeah, and then I came here. I yeah.
0: I wanted I, I want to talk to you. Uh, you know, we want to talk to you about your ballet and your dance, but but I just had a couple questions first, and you're. In your memoir, you you talk about how the 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 state under which you were adopted. You had just mentioned that, um, uh, according to your mother, that uh, you and the the girl who had become your sister were unwanted. What was going on in Sierra Le- Leone at the time, and and what brought you to be uh, put into an orphanage? Um, in Sierra Leone, there was
2: a the civil war at the time, and um You know, it happened really fast. And, you know, of course, I was a little oblivious about it when I was with my biological parents Mm -hmm. um, until my father got killed. Mm -hmm. And then that's when it all went downhill because, you know, my parents, they believed in me. And a lot of people in the village in general thought they were crazy for even keeping me as a child, as their child. And the fact that they were also educating me to become something, you know, I learned many, many languages. And they wanted me to become something great and not to just be stuck in Sierra Leone. And so when my father got killed, my my uncle took us in and he hated the fact that they were keeping, you know, this girl, the devil's child, in their house. And so he would punish my mother and um, whenever she got punished, he wouldn't give us food. And when we did get food, it was pretty much nothing. So she, my, my biological mother would always give me food and she ended up starving to death. Wow. And so my uncle brought me to the orphanage because he didn't want anything to do with me. And I, I for me, I didn't understand why, because I... You know, I didn't get it, you know, as a little child. And um, in general, in Sierra Leone, I don't know how you say it, but they just assumed that when people were different, those people that were different would cause them problems. Like if they, you know, somebody got really sick and a lot of people were dying, it would be my fault. Or if somebody, you know, if they didn't have enough crops that year, it was my fault because the devil's child was around in the village. And so my uncle brought me to the orphanage and just left me there and, ever came to visit me or nothing and I was always hoping every single day you know that he would come or you know that my father didn't really die and you know it was all made up and I believe that too when my brother Teddy passed away in the U.S. I, I knew they passed away I just I didn't want to believe it and so yeah I just and then finally somebody in the orphanage saw something in me my teacher Sarah and she would, you know, stay late and always help me with, you know, just practicing my languages and, you know, just making me happy in general. And when she got killed in front of me, mm. it was mm. pretty much the end of the world for me because, yes, I had, you know, she was my mate and she helped me through everything. But I needed that adult figure to, you know, to let me know that everything was going to be okay. And after she was killed, I just, you know, I just, I didn't believe in anything. I mean, what good could possibly happen to me, you know? And then I found this amazing magazine and this, this thing that brought life into me again at such a young age. And, um, I actually found out who the ballerina was last year. Um, and she used to also dance here at the Dutch National Ballet, but, um, this ballerina in the front of the magazine, she was my hope and she was everything that I wanted to be. And I know this is hard to explain, but you know, when you see something and you just, i don't know you get moved by it and the fact that i got moved by it was because she was happy and i wanted to be happy one day and, and i knew that you know if she was happy maybe i could be happy and in order for me to be happy i had to become her and then when i got adopted it just my dreams came true and it all happened so fast and you know just perfectly and of course there were struggles with you know being black and being in the ballet world of course but you know overall I I was very very lucky to be you know adopted by my mother and my father here and um just I'm a very lucky child yeah
0: you'd mentioned uh about um you're being referred to as the devil's child why was that
2: um it was just what they saw in me, and they assumed, you know, the the fact that I had vitiligo, they didn't understand what it was. It was a skin condition, not a disease. Mm-hmm. And they thought, you know, that there was something wrong with me, and I must be the child of the devil. You know, of course, also at the same time, I did have this fiery personality, and I'm sure that didn't help. But also the fact that I was much so different from everybody else, mm-hmm. it was crazy to them that I could be a normal person.
0: And this and this uh uh this was a skin discoloration that you talked about?
2: Yes, um right. my uh skin pigment. Got it's it. um light in some areas, yeah.
1: That's right. It it looks sort of like uh, reverse freckles. I'm I'm trying to, to yeah. figure yeah. out how to describe it for <laughs> right. our for our radio audience here. Uh, it's like having spots. That's what that's what I call it. Spots.
0: Mm. So let's talk, I, 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 that, that image of you looking at a dance magazine, who was it who was on the cover? And you were—you must have been four years old, right before you were adopted, yeah. right?
2: Yeah. Um, I'm sure I'm pronouncing her name wrong, but it turned out to be this dancer who was dancing at the time at the Pennsylvania Ballet. Her name is Majelik Massac. Mm -hmm. Um, she's currently living in the states and um, we get to email every every so often and you know she tells me inspiring things and she gives me you know advice and she's such a lovely lady and um, when I did um, a tv show here called the college tour she sent a video and I had no idea that she did that and I was so surprised that I was able to you know The fact that she knew who I was and it made me, it just it really touched me and I ended up crying during the show because I had no idea that this person knew who I was and that she was the reason why I am, I'm here today and, you know, dancing every day and doing what I love. It's just, you know, I'm just, I feel like, you know, it was meant to be and I'm not a very spiritual person, but I feel like it was fate that I found her and that, you know, I'm also dancing where she used to dance and it's just, it's amazing, I think, for to me. Mm
1: -hmm. How how did you end up with the Dutch National Ballet?
2: Um, Well, three years ago, I got the opportunity to come and perform in Den Haag with the the Dutch Don't Dance Division. Um, And... uh, because uh Tom and Renus, um, the directors of this company, they said, Oh, why don't you go and take class and just see the company I never heard of, you know, Dutch National Ballet because I was always focused on American Ballet Theater. That's the only place I ever want to be. Um I never you know, I just I never thought there were any, you know, other companies that great. And um so I got to see class and I saw one of the ballet dancers, um, Anna um, she's one of our principals here and all the other dancers were so beautiful and the atmosphere. It was as if I was home and I just i felt comfortable and I felt, you know, so I i wasn't self-conscious about myself. I felt like, you know, I could become something here and I was just inspired by one class and I thought to myself, what happens if I, you know, I got accepted here, how, how inspired could I be? And, you know, I just, I knew this was the place I wanted to be and so I auditioned, I came back to the next year. And um, I auditioned, and I found out that they were having a junior company, a new junior company, and um, they said if I they asked if I wanted to join, and I said yes, of course. And um, now I'm in the main company, and uh, I just got to perform uh, my first soloist role in uh, Swan Lake. I got to do uh, Pas de tois, which was really exciting because I was sixth cast, and I wasn't supposed to do it for a while. And, you know, they gave me an opportunity because people were injured and I got to perform it and they were very patient with me. And um, I also got an opportunity to perform A Million Kisses to My Skin by David Dawson um, in the premiere and a few other shows. And um, it's just such a wonderful place here. And, you know, this is where I want to be. And I think I can become, you know, the artist I've always dreamt of being. And, of course, maybe if I don't become a principal one day, I'll, I'll totally be okay with that because, I know I will be able
1: to become the artist that I've always dreamt of being here. We're going to take a quick break, but don't go away.
0: Book lovers everywhere love Publishers Weekly Radio, now on iHeartRadio.com. PW Radio brings you the best of books and book publishing news. PW editors Rose Fox and Mark Rotella offer lively interviews with your favorite authors and conversations with new authors you'll want to get to know.
1: I'm Rose Fox.
0: And I'm Mark Rotella.
1: Join the community of book lovers at PW Radio.
0: Every Friday and now on demand at iHeartRadio.com.
1: Welcome back. We're talking with Michaela de Prince, the author of Taking Flight, who's telling us about her incredible journey from uh, Sierra Leone orphanage to the stage. And uh, it's just it's, it's amazing hearing how passionate you are about ballet. It's sort of hard to believe that it, at four years old you could know that this was something that was really going to stick with you for the rest of your life.
2: Yeah. I mean, of course, you know, when I was eight years old, um, when I found out that, you know, When my mom asked one of my teachers, you know, what can Michaela do to become better? And, you know, my mom was always like that with all my siblings to help us succeed in what we wanted to do. When my teacher told my mom that, you know, we don't believe in black dancers because we don't put a lot of effort into black dancers because we all end up getting fat. And ended up wow, big boobs and big thighs. Yeah, huh? yeah. First of all, I'm sorry, but you guys. I don't know if you've seen pictures of me, but I have no boobs whatsoever. <laughs> but it's just it was so interesting to me because I was so discouraged and I didn't understand why they thought I was going to turn out to be like somebody else when we're all so different. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, at that age, I thought, oh, well, if my one of my favorite teachers thinks, you know, that I'm just going to become fat. Why am I dancing? And so then, you know, I I went to different schools and, you know, I worked with a bunch of amazing, amazing, you know, teachers. And, you know, they really believed in me. And I had a bunch of also teachers who, you know, looked the other way because they they want to put a lot of effort. But I did have a lot of teachers who did believe in me and they helped me become the dancer I am today. And um, one of those teachers I would have to say would be um, Franco Vita and Raymond Lukens at American Ballet Theatre and they really believed in me and they helped me become a lot more classical than I used to be and um, they, they really helped me a lot and my teachers here are absolutely wonderful and they believe in me too well be- I think they do that's what they're showing so <laughs> yeah
0: well I, I mean uh even though your uh hometown ballet school didn't uh believe in you based on the color of your skin, it looked like American ballet theater school did uh what age were yeah. you when you when you uh, auditioned and and got in mm, well I'm trying to think I
2: believe i was. 13 when I got accepted I didn't really audition Mm. per se um I did their summer intensive every year Mm -hmm. um and I I think it was my second year I did it yeah or third year they accepted me and I was 14 um and at that time I was like oh am I really going to be a dancer? I don't know if this is actually for me again you know I was going through that phase but then you know they they were patient with me again and they worked hard and they just wanted me to become something and you know i they helped me believe in myself which also you know i think helped me a lot you know and i didn't believe that i could become a ballerina or a ballet dancer um and that's what um american ballet theater uh, jko did for me and um yeah
1: and then um you joined the dance theater of harlem did that help a bit to to be in the center of black american culture and surrounded by other dancers who had also dealt with the the same kinds of prejudice?
2: Yeah, I mean, that was so inspiring. And, you know, I've always looked up to Arthur Mitchell, and I got to go to the summer intensive when I was really young, and I got to work with him a lot, which was absolutely amazing. But um, I really wanted to do class- really classical ball- um, ballet works, and um, I wasn't getting it there at Dance Vita of Harlem. Mm. And at the time, also, when I was there, I thought I was a little too immature to be in the company at the time. Um, they were doing a lot of old works and I felt like, just, I felt silly doing it because I felt like a child. And of course, eventually I do want to go back and when I'm done doing work and, you know, and work with them. Um, and just the fact that I got to work with Virginia Johnson and yeah. all these beautiful black ballerinas and ballet masters. And it's just, it was a dream come true. And I'm, I'm just so grateful that I got the opportunity to work with a company like that.
1: So your, your book is full of inspiring messages, and you also mentioned um, some other bits of inspiration that you've received. What kept you going through those times when you were saying, is ballet right for me? Can I really do this?
2: You know, it's hard to say something specific, but it's just, I loved it so much, you know? And it made me, it was like as if, I don't know, how would I say it? It gave me a chance to be a princess. Every time I was on stage, it gave me a chance to be a child again. And, you know, I didn't really have a great beginning of my childhood. So for that, it helped me become happy to go to class every day, to work hard. And I'm a very determined person. And, you know, I work very hard. And um, it, that kept me going. And my peers kept me going. My family, the support of my family was, you know, 150%, 200 or however high you want to go. But their support really helped me to continue. And you know, sometimes I'd come home to my mom and say, "Oh, mom, I'm so tired. I don't know if I can do this anymore." She said, "No, you'll be fine." And you know, there's times where I thought I couldn't dance anymore because I wasn't good enough. She would say, no, "No, no, just come go tomorrow to class, and you'll realize you'll you'll realize that this is actually what you want to do." And you know, my mom really helped me a lot, and um, everybody that you know believed in me helped me a lot.
0: Going back to um, your your formative years in ballet, I, I mean, it seems like it's a, a cloistered, kind of rarefied world. I think, especially for girls, and it's uh, and it's as you had mentioned, not always welcoming for people of color. Um, how tough was it? I, I mean, how did you deal with the prejudice? Did you feel that with your 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 fellow uh, classmates or just the instructors?
2: Um, I didn't really feel that with my fellow classmates because the thing is I was always the youngest in my class Mm -hmm. and so one year well a few years this happened um people would say oh well she's eight years old so she must be 13 because she's in a class with 13 year olds so she's lying about her age that's Mm -hmm. the thing I Mm -hmm. went through and you know it was very hard for me and when at some point, you know, I got—I used to have a... I don't know if you've heard of this page on um, FormSpring and people could write you messages and people were saying, we all know you're lying about your age, just kill yourself, nobody wow. likes you dancing in our class. And, like, I just... I got really upset and I just... I didn't understand why they were being so mean. And my mom explained to me, you know, that they're jealous and that you shouldn't focus on that. And, you know, the thing is, I worked hard and I worked hard to be in that class and I wanted to be there. It's not like I just... You know, I had talent, and I just showed up every day and did what I had to do. But I wanted to be there, and you know, being in that class with older kids inspired me to become like them. Wow. So for me, it was very upsetting to hear that. But the only time, wow. you know, I it was, you know, I went through racist points in my life, where when people thought, you know, oh, well, we can't have her as Marie because she's black, and you know, America's not ready for a black ballerina, or that, Jeez. you know, I would end up getting fat with big boobs and big thighs. Or it's just, it's just, I never understood, I never understood that, you know, when he said that and it was very upsetting. But at the same time, you just, you can't focus on things like that. And you just, you, I don't know. For me, I've always wanted to prove people wrong. Mm-hmm. So when they said that, I was like, okay, fine. Okay, that's great, but I'm just going to be wrong and work harder. And that's what I did.
0: Well, I actually studied ballet as well, and I came up here. I studied uh, with the Joffrey, and I studied with a couple of other oh. dance companies. And I always thought that the culture of ballet was was seemed to be pretty emotionally and mentally bruising for young girls, especially. Oh and, yes, and, <laughs> yeah. And I, I I wonder if that's changed. I know it's starting to change in in athletics, such as football hockey where where the coaches are not are 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 encouraged not to yell or demean the um uh, uh the the students the uh you know the, the players has that changed at all in ballet or is there still a culture of that
2: um you know it depends on where you are and mm-hmm. but at, at sometimes you know teachers would yell at you and of course sometimes i think that's the better way to do things but mm-hmm. for me personally i'm not going to do that when i teach Right, because it really, the negative energy just doesn't make you want to work hard and it just upsets everybody, and then you have that atmosphere that's really uncomfortable. And I did have that in different schools, but at the same time, it can push you when people are saying neat things to you, you know, your teachers. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's very healthy, and, you know, sometimes when teachers say things like that, like, oh, you're fat, you need to lose weight, or stop having too many. I had one teacher. I did have a lot of food at this time. But my teacher said, stop having so many Cheetos. You won't fit in your tea tea. And, um But at the same time, you know, I was a child. And I had body fat. And I had to just grow up. And, you know, that was a little hurtful for me. And so, you know, um, I started smoking um, at a very young age. And um, I thought, oh, if I do this, this is going to help me. And so I lost a lot of weight. And they were really happy about it. And that made me really sad because I wasn't with myself because they were happy at the fact that I got skinnier and, um, yeah, it was a lot. And I feel like that kind of energy is not very good. It's not a good atmosphere to work in. And, um, but the thing is they don't do that here in the company. And I believe in most companies they don't do that. Um, because it's just more like, Oh, you have to work hard and you have to prove yourself. And I'm not going to tell you what to do because you're an adult.
1: So um, who do you think is going to read your book? Is it aimed at um, other people in the ballet world, at other maybe little girls who are dreaming of being princesses on stage? (laughs) <laughs> um, well I'm hopeful I'm hoping everybody does. Um one of my uh one of the company members here, uh, Remy,
2: who is from um, Canada, um, he has read my book, um, which is absolutely I think is really cool. Um, one of my best friends, um, here who's Dutch has read my book too. Um and, you know, a bunch of my friends have ordered it and my teachers from the past have ordered it and, you know, little girls have ordered it. So I'm really excited and I feel like, you know, it's just it's it's a great book, and I think it's really easy to read and just to go through, and, you know, I feel like, you know, every age will enjoy it, mm-hmm. and I know it's so bad to say, oh, my book is so great, but, like, I, I'm, just, I'm so happy with how it turned out, and, you know, I'm so proud of my mom, and I'm just, it's just, when I, when I was looking over it to find, like, you know, sometimes you have to find your favorite part to read, and, like, I, you know, had to look through it. And I just, I started crying last year and then we like really finished it. And I said, mom, I want to come home. I miss you so much. Cause you know, when reading through it, you realize again, oh my God, my mom did so much for me. I was like, yeah, I know she did a lot, but I didn't know how much. And it's just amazing. I, I really hope everybody enjoys it. And I hope that, you know, it inspires people and gives people hope. And that's pretty much what I've always wanted to do is give people hope.
1: That's beautiful. Well, thank you so much for sharing some of your hope with us. And uh, I hope that your career continues to flourish. Ah, yeah, me too. <laughs> We've been talking with Michaela DePrince. You can find her book, Taking Flight, in stores right now. Michaela, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you. Thank
0: you so much. I'm Mark Rotella.
1: And I'm Rose Fox, and this is Publishers Weekly Radio.
0: Beyond the Headlines, Beyond the Routine, Beyond the Book, I'm Chris Keneally, host of Copyright Clearance and his podcast series, Beyond the Book. And I'm Andrew Albanese, Senior Writer at Publishers Weekly. Join us each Friday for a publishing news week in review podcast unlike any other. Learn all the breaking news and catch the best analysis on developments in the book trade, copyright law, and much more. You already know business as usual. Now go Beyond the Book. Listen to the free series and subscribe at beyondthebook.com.
1: And that's it for today's show. I'm Rose Fox.
0: And I'm Mark Rotella. And you've been listening to Publishers Weekly Radio.
1: You can listen to this and every episode of Publishers Weekly Radio absolutely free at publishersweekly.com slash PWRadio. Subscribe to our podcasts on iHeartRadio and iTunes and hear every new episode streamed live on audiobookradio.net. Check those sites every week for a brand new episode giving you the inside story on your favorite story. And don't forget, PW Insider launches on September 14th. Thanks for listening.
0: You've been listening to Publishers Weekly Radio Show.